0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and the very spirit of vexation, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm
1: story expert who wonders what possible catastrophe came crashing down from heaven and brought this dashing stranger to tears, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Fool for Love, the
0: seventh episode of season five. Fool for Love aired on November 14th, 2000 and was written by Douglas Petrie and directed by Nick Mark. For those of you who
1: have not heard, Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. So if you haven't seen it all, go take care of that and come on back. If you're looking for fun, there's death, there's glory, and saw all else, so let's go on patrol. <laughs> for love, Buffy gets staked in the torso by a garden-variety vampire, and Riley steps in and saves her, taking over patrolling with the rest of the Scoobies while Buffy goes to research Slayers with Giles, trying to find information on the final battles and why those Slayers
0: lost. I realize that every Slayer comes with an expiration mark on the package, but I want mine to be a long time from now, like a Cheeto. When Giles tells
1: Buffy that the Watchers are in too much pain to give detailed accounts of how their Slayers died, she realizes that there is someone she knows who can give her details for at least two final battles Spike. Slayers, you killed two of them.
0: I did. You're going to show me how. Buffy takes Spike to the Bronze to hear the tales, and he demands a price bad beer and spicy buffalo wings. Then we go into flashback of Spike before he was turned when he was just William, a nerdy, awkward romantic in late 19th century England. He writes terrible poetry and is humiliated at a party when he declares his love for Cecily, who does not return his affections. You're nothing to me, William. You're beneath me. As he runs crying from the party, he bumps into Angelus, Darla, and Drusilla. Drew takes a liking to him and turns him into a vampire and brings him into the family, where his penchant for risk-taking puts him at odds with Angelus. If I can't teach you, maybe
1: someday an angry crowd will. That, (laughs) or the Slayer. What's a Slayer? In the present day, Spike uses his story to instruct Buffy. He tells her of the first Slayer he killed during the Boxer Rebellion. Buffy is disgusted by the fact that killing a Slayer turned him on, but Spike says she's missing the point. But you can kill a hundred, a thousand, a thousand thousand, and the armies of hell besides, and all we need is for one of us, just one.
0: Sooner or later, to have the thing we're all hoping for.
1: And that would be what?
0: One good
1: day. While Riley ditches the rest of the Scoobies to recklessly take out a nest of vampires all on his own, Spike and Buffy go out into the alley to finish their discussion, and Spike makes one very good point. The question isn't, how'd I win? The question is, why they lose?
0: What's the difference? There's a big difference, love. Spike and Buffy fight in the alley, reflecting the fight a few decades earlier in a New York subway with Nikki Wood, the second Slayer Spike killed. As he fights with Buffy now, he lives in the memory of that fight. And when it's over, and he's killed Nikki he's finally able to tell Buffy what she came to him to discover.
1: Now you see, that's the secret. Not the punch she didn't throw, or the kick she didn't land. She merely wanted it. Every slayer has a death wish.
0: He tells her that the only reason she's not dead already is because of her ties to the world, her family, her friends. But eventually, even that won't be enough. Eventually Buffy will have had enough of the dance with death and she will want it to just end.
1: And the second, the second that happens, you know I'll be there. I'll
0: slip in, have myself a real good day.
1: Buffy tells him to leave, but Spike taunts her, begging her to hit him, to hurt him, to do the dance with him. He says he knows she wants to. Say it's true say I do want to. It wouldn't be you, Spike. It would never be you. You're beneath me. She throws money at him and leaves. As he scoops up the money off the ground, he cries for a moment, but then stops and goes home to retrieve his shotgun.
0: Hasn't got a death wish. Bitch won't need one. Buffy goes home to discover that Joyce is going to the hospital. It turns out her headaches might not be nothing. And she has to go in for observation. Buffy steps outside to her back porch, sits, and starts to cry. Spike enters the backyard, shotgun in hand, and stalks towards her. But when she looks up and he sees her crying, he sets the shotgun aside and sits next to her, comforting her in communal silence.
1: All right, Noel. So here we are at Fool for Love, and I'm going to put all my cards out on the table. I think this is my favorite episode in all of Buffy. Uh, Damn. There is so much. No, I'm serious. Really? I am playing for keeps on this one. Yeah, okay. I love this episode. Um, I mean, partially it's because of of the spike of it. You know, uh, the way we see both his vulnerability, his his weakness, his um his his strength. I've never seen a character be So scary at the same time as also vulnerable and goofy and silly and everything. And and Spike just... I love, I mean, clearly, we've all had this conversation. Everybody's heard me say, it. I just love Spike. Um, but I also love the way that this this episode is built. Um, I was trying to think about what it, what it is that kind of like the idea that encompasses what kind of episode this is. Like in television, we have uh, different kinds of episodes. Like you've got your bottle episodes, your musical episodes, your very special, quote unquote, episodes, um, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but this also... Feels like that, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And so I was, I was trying to come up with the idea. And I think that the what I'm trying to express, although again, this is nascent, and I'm not sure about this idea. Um, but the idea of the short story episode, right? Mm. Um, that this is an episode that um, that presents itself almost like a short story, almost like an entire narrative unto itself. That if you watched only one episode of the and this was it, you would leave with an entire story you would leave with an entire story arc you would be seeing you know um spike and what's going on with him and how he's moving through all of this you would know everything that's happening without anything having to really be explained to you but it also subverts and completely abandons the typical style of the standard episode of that television show like every tv show has a certain rhythm to its dance and it does the same rhythm pretty much every week um you know with some exceptions Um, Um, but when you have an episode that sort of steps outside of that rhythm, that steps outside of that that space, that does something aesthetically different, the way that we do when we hit our um, our final movement in this, when Spike is half fighting Nikki Wood in the past and half instructing Buffy in the present. Um, we are kind of violating our standard structure and doing something different, doing something kind of artistic. And I think that that there's an artistic element to the way in which it's deviating from the standard uh, structure for that TV show, I think also contributes to it. Um, so it almost develops an entirely new style for this one episode. It's a complete narrative unto itself. And when I say that, I don't mean like each episode of most TV shows, uh, with the exception of like soap operas or other super, super serialized shows, typically has its own complete narrative within the episode. But there's something different about the narrative in a short story episode. It's not just a complete episode, a complete narrative within the story world, um, but it's a complete standalone narrative with its own style, its own rules, its own meaning, you know? Um, and so if it was the only episode that someone completely new to the series and knew nothing else saw, I think that they would be able To understand it, be able to follow that story and get something out of it. Um, So I think that we have this. Some I was trying to think of other television series that have episodes like this, and I think that the. um, And again, like like I said, I'm still developing this as a theory. So I would love for people to hop in here and kind of. Punch it out a little bit uh, and see what they think. Uh, But the House episode, three stories, for those who are familiar with the television show House, um, three stories in the first season, I think, does this. The Doctor Who episode, Blink. uh, The Outlander episode, The Wedding. uh, The X-Files episode, Bad Blood. And also, I think, even more so maybe postmodern, Prometheus. Now, again, you have to be super familiar with all of these Shows in order to know what I'm talking about. But I would love if anybody has examples of short story episodes from other TV shows, we can kind of like talk about it because I'm, I'm I'm really interested in this idea, but I'm not one hundred percent certain yet that i've that I've got it right. Um and we do have episodes within Buffy that kind of do, stray from you know from the standard but they don't necessarily meet all the requirements of the short story episode like Hush is not a short story episode it is highly stylized it's got a a very artistic aesthetic uh, but it still kind of lives within the story beat structure of a typical Buffy episode and if you haven't seen the rest of Buffy a lot of that episode would go over your head Um, The Zeppo is not a short story episode it goes outside of the typical structure or POV of a standard Buffy episode but you definitely won't understand it without not of the rest of the series and it's not that highly stylized it's just a shift in POV Um, so I'm still working on this idea would love to hear feedback from people Um, but I think the fool for love fits that requirement for me the short story episode
0: Um, okay does any of that make sense this is one of the few people I've talked to about it it makes total sense Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. especially within the context of I mean anyone Anyone who has watched any television show for an extended period of time, um, especially something that has a lot of uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like production value. Like yeah. they know what they're mm-hmm. doing. Right. They they, you know, there are resources to go out there and like try a thing. Like every mm-hmm. every series I think that has lasted for a substantial number of seasons will have these episodes where they are clearly doing a thing. Mm -hmm, And it's not doing a thing in the, we have a very important message to tell you about the dangers of alcohol. No, like it's the, we're going to do an episode in black and white. Mm -hmm. We're going to do an episode where there's no dialogue at all. Like it's, it's a thing and it feels a little gimmicky. And sometimes it feels like a huge departure Mm -hmm. from the show you've been watching and sometimes it doesn't yeah and I think the short story episode I don't know the short story episode seems to like for me walk that line of Mm -hmm. both very much of the world of the show yeah and also not really
1: and also kind of its own thing on its own like if you were watching fool for love I think that it is it is a satisfying narrative all unto itself Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that I mean, if you walked away having watched just this episode, you would understand what it, it was doing, you know? It tells a
0: very strong story in mm-hmm. its own right. Right. Mm-hmm. As you say, I mean, ideally, <laughs> we hope when we're writing episodes mm-hmm. of things that they are all complete narratives in and of themselves. But some episodes do stand alone mm-hmm. better than yeah. others. Mm-hmm. Um. And not necessarily because they give you a real strong sense of the show as a whole. Right. But because, you know, as you were just saying, they tell a story. They tell a really complex story, I mm-hmm. think, within the scope of that 40 yeah. minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that they do. So I don't know. I'm very, very interested in hearing back from people on that and what they think about that because I think I think there's something there, but I'm not sure I've entirely nailed it. So um, but getting to the question, though, that is always at the beginning of the episode, which I put off because I wanted to talk about short stories. Uh, Noelle, what do you think about "Full for Love?
0: I mean, I hate to say it because I know you love it and you just came oh, out no, saying fine. it's your favorite episode, but I'm, I, it's fine. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't do it for me. Okay. That, like, mm-hmm. it does not, it doesn't make my socks go up and down. Mm-hmm. Like, there are, there are moments I love. There are things that I love. There are some really clever devices within the, mm-hmm. the framing yeah. <laughs> of the stories. But it, I mean... i think okay no i think part of it because i do i do love spike Mm -hmm. and i am often not always but often interested in seeing how characters became Mm -hmm. who we know them to be you know in the present um i missed the goofiness from Spike. Okay. There wasn't mm-hmm. enough of that, you know, I will make the Slayer's neck my chalice and then he turns and, and drops out of into- frame. <laughs> right. Like that, that for me uh-huh. is what I come to Spike for. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I don't see a lot of that here. I mean, I, there's mm-hmm. some of it. Um, I mean, Spike ordering spicy buffalo wings at the bronze to go with his bad American beer is the Spike I love. Right. Mm -hmm. Which then he immediately follows with some nasty thing got a taste of you, you know, when he notices Buffy's injury because we've got this whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, Spike is never not hungry and horny. (laughs) Never mind. Never mind the Slayer, you know, aftermath. He's just like, that's just his baseline.
1: Yes, exactly. That's Mm -hmm. his
0: baseline. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and we get, like, we get Spike in food, which I mm-hmm. really appreciate. Yeah. Um, you know, and we learn that Slayer's blood is supposedly an aphrodisiac, which, I mean. Well, of course they're going to say that. I mean, I, mean, I think yeah. maybe it's the placebo effect in full effect, but I'm not a vampire yet. <laughs> right. So. Yes. I, yes. You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, mm mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that one of the first things we see Spike, when he is still Mm -hmm. William, do is he turns down an hors d'oeuvre because he's writing. Right, Right. And it's those little, it's those little like clues to character because Spike Mm -hmm. now would not turn down food. No. I mean, at all. He doesn't need it And for somebody
1: who doesn't need it, exactly. Like I love, I love Spike's hedonism because he just, everything is about
0: pleasure for him.
1: You know, it's really great.
0: No one's narrating on an empty stomach. Right. It's like, Dude, you won't even gain any nutrition from those spicy buffalo wings. Right. You just enjoy them. Right. Which is why I enjoy you. Exactly. Really. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, is a little like a weird, but. Okay. Parallel to that. We have yeah. the bag of chips yes. that Xander and Willow share on patrol, which is yes. practically a character. <laughs> it's the... It is kind of adorable. Okay. Is that stalking through the graveyard with Riley and Anya and Xander and Willow? Just It's Scooby-Doo. It is, it is just oh, it is an episode of Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo.
1: It is very Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that's going on with uh, with Riley and the rest of the Scoobs, you know, in this episode is um, almost not even... An, I mean, it's basically two scenes, right? You know, they go in, they find the nest, they decide to leave, and then Riley goes back and blows them all up. And does this incredibly reckless thing, right? Yeah. So we've got that sort of moving in the background in two beats of you know not even a short story <laughs> like, just a <laughs> um a vignette almost you know um so that's kind of interesting you know what's happened but but everything else in fool for love what's going on with spike and buffy is so overwhelming and prevalent like it's so easy to forget that riley was even there you know which honestly is the
0: the, the I mean, situation
1: for me, in most episodes.
0: He's really there. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was sitting here going, "Why is Riley even there?" But he's there right. because he's the anti-Spike. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the first line. So the first line after the previously on is yes. Buffy saying, mm-hmm. "It's probably none of my business, but I just got to ask." Yeah. So we open with this idea of like, the the, you know, qu- like a question and answer almost, uh-huh. and then the final fights of the former slayers. Yes, are her business Mm -hmm. but what she gets is Spike's emotional life which Mm -hmm. is not really what she asked for and then there's all of this stuff with with Riley patching Buffy up and they talk about going to the hospital and Buffy Mm -hmm. says no because it would freak out her mom and then of course we end the episode with Joyce going to the hospital Mm -hmm. and Buffy quietly freaking out and then instead of her her soldier boyfriend there to comfort her. It's her (laughs) non-boyfriend, vampire boyfriend. Not living boyfriend, yes. Like, really, the only reason that Riley exists in this story is to be not Spike. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why else is he there? Mm -hmm. I mean, the title suggests that, like, maybe he does the reckless thing with a grenade because he's just so in love with her, but he's not there long enough to Mm -hmm. really... I I don't know.
1: Well, he he does the reckless thing with the grenade because he's, I mean, there may be some sense that he's got a death wish, too. I mean, I think we're going to see this as we move through the season and we get to, you know, Riley letting vampires feed on him. Right. That there is... um,
0: he's start he is experimenting with vampires he he's is... experimenting
1: with darkness <laughs> i think i think that there's a because you know we talk about you know buffy like that it's the power it's the supernatural power in the vampires and everything but i think that what's underneath that is this idea that it is and also i reject the idea that buffy's got a you know, a vamp thing, like, or that she only likes superpowered men, you know? Um, I think that maybe there is a little bit of that darkness, though. I think that maybe there is something in that darkness that Riley is the antithesis. Like, the whole reason why she started dating Riley is because he was supposed to be Joe Normal, right? You right. know? Um, and, and Riley now is looking at that darkness. But the thing that, that annoys me about Riley, and I know that I that is a sentence I say every week.
0: Um, <laughs> Take a drink.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. This is our, our drinking game. But but please, you know, drink water and hydrate and make it good for you. Um But the thing that annoys me about Riley drink is that um that he's blaming Buffy for this like need for him to it's because I love you so much that you make me crazy that that it's, it's about Buffy you know that he's having this dance with darkness and that part of his personality and we could be doing the same thing and if this dance was with darkness was about the fact that he had been brainwashed and drugged by the people that he trusted that he doesn't seem to have any family left I don't know where his mom and pop are in Iowa I don't know what the hell's going on with like you know here he is this Iowa farm boy and family is no part of his life at all like he I think the isolation from his former life his inability to fit into Buffy's current life trying to find like if he if we had Riley struggling with his identity the way we had Giles struggling with his identity in season four I think I could really get into even this stuff that Riley's doing dancing with darkness but it's always about Buffy it always feels like it's like supposed to be her fault or her responsibility and and Buffy's got a problem in the Riley thing too and that she will not you know talk to him which by the way in a relationship is a thing that you have to do if you are not communicating then it's dying you know a relationship like lives on communication the way a plant lives on sunlight if you do not communicate that relationship is going to die um, and so they're not communicating they're starving the relationship there's all of that and Buffy is definitely responsible for for that but The idea that he has to do this dance with darkness because she won't want him unless he's super powered, or all of this kind of stuff always comes back to her and he always blames it on her. And it just annoys me.
0: Yeah. And we get none of that. Like we Mm -hmm. get none of it in this episode. He's just I don't know. He's just there to be kind of a break from <laughs> Buffy and Spike. Yeah, exactly. Because we're clearly setting up Buffy and Spike. I mean, we've been yes. setting up Buffy and Spike, but mm-hmm. come on, guys. Like, I
1: yeah. don't know.
0: Does it feel obvious to you at this point that this is what they're doing? I think because, so, yeah. Like, do they know that this is what they're doing? I'm so curious about the behind the scenes. Not That curious, they're setting not, up Buffy and know. Spike
1: as a romance?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Not, I'm not curious enough to, like, Read interviews with people <laughs> <Right>. about how <laughs> like, soon they knew they were doing this. Do but... research or anything? Yeah, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I
1: mean, I think that I think that it's clear in the text of that. I don't think you need to read up. But like, it's clear that they're building up Buffy and Spike as romance at the same time, not making Spike into a you know he's okay now because he's got a chip in his yeah. head like they're they're actually i think one of the things i really like about the buffy and spike thing is that first of all i feel like buffy the only man that buffy has ever been completely honest with is spike uh the only man that she communicates clearly with is spike um and that's because she's not trying to tiptoe around his tender fragile boy feelings you well, know she's, she's,
0: she's, trying she's not trying to impress him she she's not trying to impress him she's not trying to like
1: there's all that and honestly I think that that makes Spike one of the healthiest relationships that she actually has because she is herself with Spike in a way that she's not herself with any of the men that she's been with Um, so I find that really interesting I like the discussion of uh, a chip in your head doesn't make you good. The fact that you fight on the side of good doesn't make you good. If that's the only option and you're addicted to violence and that's the only way that you can fight, you know? Um, yep. But I I like what they do with Spike because it does open up a space for all of these really complicated questions. Not to mention the questions about like, why do we love this guy? He's clearly evil. He's always evil. He has to keep reminding us that he's evil, you know? Um, And yet we are... Uh, you know i mean okay i can't speak for obviously everybody who has ever but i think in general there is a um a, a real contingent of the fandom that is just in love with him um and, and it's an interesting kind of space to be in. And Buffy, we don't have Buffy fall in love with him. We don't have Buffy get all starry-eyed about Spike. Like, she always knows exactly what he is. And there's something about exactly that, that she knows what he is, you know?
0: Um, well, that, especially here. Yeah. In this episode, she sees him. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. This is there is There are a few things I truly, like adore and will fangirl over in this episode. And mm-hmm. one of them is that moment at the end when he is narrating his story mm-hmm. about killing Nikki Wood, mm-hmm. who is as yet unnamed, but we all uh, know who she is. Unnamed now, but we know, know who she is, right? Yeah, we know are spoiled, she is. we can say her name. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. But he is he's speaking to Buffy as mm-hmm. he's taking the the leather duster off of her after he's killed mm-hmm. her. He is so in the memory. Yeah. As he's telling this, but what we're seeing, what the camera is showing us is him speaking to Buffy. She is also in the memory with him. She yeah. is seeing him clearly. Yep. As this past version of himself mm-hmm. and i love it so much oh my god it's so good it's so good and i think this is what like the two
1: of them they see each other so clearly you know, and and that to me is part of what I absolutely love about this relationship. Um, also, you know, yeah, let's take a moment to talk about Nikki Wood. Um, you know, let us let us shout out to the unbearable whiteness of Buffy, which is something that my my friend, uh, Dr. Charisse Laprie, who's a professor at, at Newhouse, I was discussing Buffy with her once and she coined that. And I was like, oh, yeah, love that. So uh, <laughs> love the, un- the unbearable whiteness of Buffy. Uh, here we have a slayer. Um, we actually have two slayers who are women of color. We have uh, the Chinese Slayer um, back in the day, and I know she. I think she was named in like the
0: comics or something. She, yeah, she has a name. I that don't I do have not the name on, in my
1: notes right in front of me, and I apologize for that. But, um, but here we have this this Slayer, and uh, this unbelievably heartbreaking moment where she says something like, "Tell my mother I'm sorry." And then Spike says, Sorry, love, I don't speak Chinese.
0: Okay, but I got to stop you right there because yeah? I got to talk about the what the fuck of this moment. Yeah. I got to talk. I, I mean, it's heartbreaking and it's wonderful. Yeah. But so she knows she's fucked, right? Uh-huh. And she says, Tell my mother I'm sorry, which we know, the audience knows because mm-hmm. of subtitles. Right. Then Spike says, sorry, love, I don't speak Chinese, but he's the one telling the story. So what the actual fuck with this decision? (gasps) POV violation. You are correct. I didn't even even pick it up. (laughs) But like, what the fuck with this? And I mean, they're fucking with the POV. You know, I'll answer my own question. Either that or he's just saying that to be cruel. Wouldn't that be the worst like that would be the actual fucking worst. It is
1: the actual fucking worst, but it's also Spike.
0: Like it's I mean, Spike. it's Spike.
1: Like Spike is uh, fucking terrible, and the yeah. fact that we love him is—he's something that you know requires some introspection.
0: <laughs> well, because a villain, okay, he's—I mm-hmm. mean, Spike is very—he's uh, very Richard the Third in mm-hmm. this episode. In that, it's like you're not with him. Necessarily, but you're kind of with him. You're like, all right. Because what he's saying essentially Mm -hmm. is, watch me go. Right. Like, let me, I'll show you. Watch me go. And you, as the audience, kind of sit back and go, yeah, uh, all right. Okay. Yeah. All right. right."
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, that's the thing. Like, and writers who want to write good villain characters, um, I I think that there's so much to be learned from Spike because real vulnerability consistent characterization and personality that that shows what they what they love what's important to them what matters to them and that it matters deeply which is an additional vulnerability anytime you care deeply about something that is an additional vulnerability when you don't care then we don't care right but spike loves i mean he came on the screen loving drusilla loving violence you know, mm-hmm. loving all of it and, and it, taking joy in it. When you see a character take joy in something, um, there's part of you that takes joy in that, too. I, no matter what, even when we know the character is bad and evil, there are other things to him that make him incredibly lovable. Um, so I, I find that really interesting. And I think it's a, a wonderful, I think Spike is a wonderful example for anybody trying to build a villain you know we we call it the villain that you love to hate but we love <laughs> to love spike yeah we, I and, say, and sometimes I'm, there's inner conflict with how much i love spike
0: i would rather i mean just as a as a reader or a viewer mm-hmm. i would rather love a villain as opposed to yeah. love hating them. Yes. It's, I mean, it does give you complex feelings, especially when you're like, oh, but they did this awful thing. But I kind of, right. you're kind of with them. You're and kind does of it like, make yeah, me go. a bad
1: person that I love this guy and I'm kind no. of rooting for him? Like, like I know that he's a bad person and like an evil vampire and a killer. I mean, a serial killer, you know, like we're going to get a lot of times where Spike, there's this one point where he says, I can't remember, it's from Touched, where he makes the speech to Buffy and he says, I've seen a lot of things and some oh, I wish yeah. you didn't or something like that or you didn't know about. Um, and he's, he's so complex and so dark. And yet there is this wonderful in- excitement and vibrance and life to him. You know, he has more life to him than Riley has, you know, Um, and that's what makes him so compelling and so interesting and building a character like that, and especially this character around whom we can have such complex conversations like is is. The nature of good, just doing good and fighting on the right side, you know, regardless of what you would do if you weren't controlled. Like, we know that's not the case. Like, the fact that he's fighting on the side of good is because of two selfish things. One, he has no choice and he wants the violence. And two, he wants Buffy. You know, mm-hmm. he's in love with Buffy and he wants her so he fights on her side. But that's, you know, the only reason. I think we're going to get into some complicated areas. Um, You know, like when he takes that beating from Glory later this season to save Dawn. You know, yeah. like, is that a good thing or is that not? We'll have that conversation when we hit that episode. Um, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's He inspires these really, really complicated, really interesting questions and discussions about the nature, like what is good, what is not. And is it OK to be in love with Spike? If love and
0: Spike is wrong, I don't want to be right, <laughs> baby. <laughs> well, and even what is what is truth? Yeah. Right. Because we have heard that he gets his nickname because he tortured his victims with railroad spikes, and he's yeah. William the Bloody. Right. And then in flashback, we hear he's called William the Bloody because of his bloody awful his poetry. His bloody awful
1: poetry. And
0: yes. you know the his his smarmy snarky yeah. frenemy is like, I'd rather be tortured with a railroad spike than listen right. to you know, like. What is, what is true mm-hmm. about this character, who at this point we actually know quite a bit about, or we think we do? Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating, it's a it's a fascinating character study in the self-made man, if you will, <laughs> oh, Right, because self-made he vamp is yeah. the self-made vamp. Mm-hmm. Because of course, you know, of course, it's you know Drusilla who right. makes him a vampire. But he is the one who adopts this identity mm-hmm. for himself. Yeah. And he is the one who tells this story, not just to Buffy in this episode, but I get the sense that he has been telling this story about himself right. to himself right. for a very long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He is often shaping his own reality as though he is a character in a story. Right. He yes. is just you know, he he's like, I you know, he's the one going around saying I'm evil, right and labeling himself and you know, posturing around mm-hmm. <laughs> and jealous. And don't you ever get tired of fights you know you're gonna win. Like right. he is building up a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I get the sense from this episode at least that he Spike is someone who will lie to himself in an aspirational sort of way Mm -hmm. until that becomes the truth until that becomes the truth yeah i can absolutely see that and he Mm -hmm. and we know that he is invested in stories and storytelling we know we've seen over and over again the relationship between spike and television Mm -hmm. television specifically episodic television he loves him some television right he loves a narrative that builds and builds and builds. Mm-hmm. And I think some of what we see in this episode is evidence that he has been building his narrative for oh, himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically since, I don't want to say since Jump, but maybe since Chomp. Since, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. And it's it's really interesting, too, because we see who he
1: was before. You know yeah. the very spirit of vexation. I'm going to turn away <laughs> these hors d'oeuvres. Getting, I, I prefer not to think of such dark, ugly business at all. And getting killed made me feel alive for the very first time. Um, he is. It, it, it's funny because who he was before Drusilla turned him um, was, you know, kind of this this milk toast, mediocre, you know, He's man living with his mother. He's not very interesting. He's not even good at the poetry, you know. And then I mean, and this is the thing, like what what happens when you're very good at a very bad thing? Right. He becomes a vampire and he's good. He's good at being evil. He kills two slayers. And he likes it.
0: Because it's embodied in a way that writing poetry and going to these parties isn't. Right. Right. That's my read.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that he is. I mean, he is essentially hedonistic. He is materialistic in the sense that he is he is about like physicality.
0: You know, well, I and I think Drusilla turns him onto that physicality in mm-hmm. a way that he maybe didn't want to acknowledge beforehand. I
1: imagine Drusilla was the first
0: sex he'd ever had. Well, I mean, that scene too where she approaches him in the alley, like. (laughs) You'll not be getting my purse. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're playing it. They're both playing it like he has the world's most obvious boner. Like, they're both. (laughs) It's so clear. Like, it is so clear what is going on off screen. Oh, yeah. That he's obviously just like, cannot even. Yeah. You know, with his his physical attraction to this woman and she's sure. so forward in a way mm-hmm. that he wants to be. Right. You can see because yeah. he's that kind of, he's, oh, held back. I just wanted, my feelings are real, but and mm-hmm. my heart is bulging. It's I like, know. girl, no. Oh, like, oh like,
1: but when Drusilla says effulgent, right? When yes. she picks up on that with her little psychic powers, you know. Uh, the idea, too, that um, Spike, when we see him as William, um, I think that he knows there's something in him you know that is truly yeah. special but nobody else sees it and drusilla sees it she chooses him like that dude of that all dude. the people in the world <laughs> to choose to make a vampire that dude like nobody really? nobody would think but drusilla saw in him you know this thing that probably he knew was there but had no idea how to you know well he doesn't uh, know how to access, access it. it right right or how to how to present it how to use it you know so she unlocks she sees in him something that is is truly him is his real self unlocks that for him by making him a vampire and then there he is you know living living the life um and it's it's really interesting I also love the insight that he has into um, you know, into this question of Buffy's. Right. The question isn't how oh, do I win. Mm-hmm. The question is they why they lose did... yes. this idea of this dance with death that every Slayer is a little bit in love with it. And then eventually there comes a really good day. You know, it's just a he just right place, right time when that Slayer was tired of fighting. Um, and I found that I love that whole idea. I love the way it's presented. I love the way he tells that story. I love the way he builds up to that essential meaning in the story. Um, and the way that Buffy knows that it's true, which is why she gets so pissed off at him.
0: I love her Get I love Buffy having all of the feelings about oh, yeah. Spike. Yeah. It's it's great mm-hmm. it's great. I know I say it all the time, but especially because it's TV these are young actors things that I mean I I think we have moved beyond this some but in the past people go uh-huh yeah, whatever mm-hmm. you know young actors on a TV show but damn them' some acting chops. yeah I mean she is she is horrified and heartbroken and disgusted and curious curious and and also called out like you yeah. can see that oh shit kind of like well he yeah. knows I,
1: he knows it's her great. better than she knows her i don't think that she consciously understood like knew what he was saying to be true i think that she denied it but as soon as he says it it's textual you know well, and she has to look at that
0: Well, and we've all had that experience, I think. Oh, yeah. You have an experience, but you haven't really articulated it in Mm -hmm. words. or You haven't, you know, really processed it or broken it down. And then someone says the thing and you go, oh, shit. Exactly. Wow. Okay, that's right on. That moment of being told, Someone said the thing.
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) Someone solidified this concept that I didn't, I wasn't quite sure. You know, but now I now they've solidified it for me. They put it into language, you know, and then once it's there, it's there. And then she has no choice but to deal with it, which is why she's so pissed off. But I, I especially love too the way that she takes the most painful moment of his whole story for him. You're beneath me from Cecily, who we will later see as Halfric. She's actually a vengeance demon.
0: Delightful. (laughs) Which I really, really love. Delightful.
1: But you're beneath me, you know? And then when she says to Spike, you're beneath me, you know? Yeah. Um, That's a big freaking deal, you know, for her to say that to him. And she specifically takes that one hurtful moment and then just, like, grinds salt in the wound and... I, and that moment, I mean, I really kind of love. It. And then when he's crying on the ground and then he looks up and he gets this, you know, rage in his face, like this hatred, it is, it's scary. It's wonderful, but it's also scary. And I just think beautifully expressed. And then the shotgun <laughs> <laughs> of all the ridiculous fucking things. Well, and fucking... I'll have a headache for a couple of weeks, but she'll be dead a lot longer than that. Yep.
0: <laughs> In harmony like oh uh, uh, what she is are so you doing? gonna kill you
1: oh my god i know oh god. i love harmony harmony is my favorite
0: any any little inkling of harmony just yes. being her harmony self but again you know but she's also like what the hell do mm-hmm. you think you're doing mm-hmm. she's completely gonna kill you yeah but of course spike is you know when Spike is on a tear, then Spike's on a tear. And that's just mm-hmm. how it's going to go there's down.
1: there's no stopping him, you know. Yeah. Um, but I love that when he when he walks, you know, it, it stomps, stalks into her backyard, right? And also, Buffy's backyard, we don't see a whole lot. But I mostly associate it with the events of seeing Red in, in season six. You know, when Warren comes mm-hmm. in with a gun and causes yeah. all, all manner of havoc. Um, yeah. So Buffy in her backyard, this guy's walking up with a shotgun and then he sees her face. And it just like he just shuts. It's done. It's off. You see you just the can't. love yep. in his face and he's just like, what's going on? You know, like he wanted to kill her. And yet seeing her in pain is too much for him. And I love that that essential contradiction within him, you know? Yep. Um, And his empathy, his empathy. I mean, yes, it's selfishly motivated because he loves her, but he has actually for a vampire, a great deal of empathy. He can feel what other people feel. And I find that really interesting in Spike. I think it's what makes him such a great manipulator.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I love that when he does sit down on the porch next Mm -hmm. to her, that we just, we just stay there. We just hold yeah. in silence. We get a long moment of silence. And awkward way he ta- he pats her shoulder. Oh, God! <laughs> the little is bear it... there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, not good at this. But <laughs> she lets him comfort her. And he can because he sees her. He's the only one who sees her. She, When she is with Spike, she is fully and completely seen in a way she isn't with anybody else.
0: All right. That's a fun thing to watch for mm-hmm. going forward. Oh, How yeah. is Buffy with Spike? Mm-hmm. F- especially from now on. Because yeah. this is, I mean, that's this a, is a turn of a point. place to leave it. Yeah. Just story wise and, you know, their relationship wise. Obviously, yeah. they don't have a romantic relationship at this point. Yes, it's they're foreshad- It's being foreshadowed. Well, it's, the it's house very down. Very romantic
1: but... in the in the you know Heathcliff on the moors romanticism idea. <laughs> the the doomed and dark you know romantic. Right. Um, yes. It is, but th- but this is not a mutually romantic. You know, like she's not also in love with him. But there is something about him, and you know we've seen it a million times in his delight armor. The fact that he just can't seem to die, and she
0: can't seem to kill him. She doesn't want to kill him,
1: I think, because he does see her, you know,
0: she I think keeps that... looking for excuses to kill him and then talking herself out of it. Exactly.
1: I mean, it's the same thing. They want to kill each other, but they can't because they are each other's they're the only ones, one that the other one truly sees them. You know, the only people that are that truly see each of them. And I think that they understand each other in ways that that other people just don't. Um So, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a complicated and interesting thing. And that's why, like this episode, I love the way we tell the story. I love Spike's getting of the jacket, although I at the same time, while I love that he's getting the duster, I'm offended um, on behalf of Nikki Wood, you know, like knowing who that belongs to. Makes it offensive.
0: It's so good and
1: so disgusting. I know, right? Like, I love that Spike is a character that makes us feel all of these contradictory. Feelings all the time. You know, like you're always like trying to hold, you know, what is I think it was Aristotle said the sign of an intelligent mind can hold two opposing thoughts at the same time. That yep, might have been Aristotle, might so. have been John F. Kennedy. I don't fucking know. Look it up. But anyway.
0: Um
1: I don't I don't remember.
0: It could have been anyone. It honestly <laughs> could have been anyone.
1: But there is a joy. There is a, I, I and I think I feel like there's a name for it, but I don't know what it is. But there is a joy in that contradiction. There is a joy in that cognitive dissonance of holding these. I love Spike. He is evil these are two things that exist at the same time there is something about that that brings a level of complexity into the discourse and into the story world that does give you that hit of joy like i I love that with this character um and i think that that's really fun um also i gotta say i love we don't get a lot but i love giles in this and just that scene where he's talking with buffy about the deaths of the slayers and how heartbreaking yeah. it would be for a, a, a watcher to tell the story of the Slayer's death. Because she's like, where are the details? Where's the thing? And he's like, they find it too. And she was like, distasteful or something like that. And he goes, no, <laughs> you know, too uh, too heartbreaking or sad or something, yeah. you know. Um, and him with her, like this father-daughter thing that they've had going on is has been textual for quite some time um but at the same time it's it's constantly evolving that they are they are father and daughter that he does see her you have a father's love for the child you know Um, and we've seen that with him and then for him to have this discussion with her you know And, and for him to be in this moment you see him thinking about it the day that he's going to have to write about Buffy's death. Right. And of course, it's we a, know that that's coming at the end of this season. You know,
0: it's a tough it's oh. a tough thing to have to think about. Yeah. And he again, I mean, the acting on this show, it's not news to anybody. I but know.
1: It's fantastic. Phenomenal.
0: Yeah. But yeah, in that tiny that tiny little moment to communicate so much about mm-hmm. his his relationship to her as a person and to his role as a watcher and the history of all of the, it's great. It's great. It's so good. And the thing is, is that most parents,
1: you know, um, most of us walk through life with the presumption that we will go before our kids. Um, And, and, you know, the idea that imagine that it was the other way around and that you knew that you were likely going to, you know, outlive a child. Like that experience, I I can't even imagine the the devastation of that and and what it would feel like knowing that that was likely in your future. Um and you know, it's 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 pretty horrifying. It's pretty horrifying and to see Giles um kind of wrestle with that quietly in the background of the scene that is supposed to be about Buffy trying to figure this out. You know, um, I think it was just really beautifully played, especially because we are we are seeding, you know, what we're going to have to deal with at the end of the season. Um, right. And anybody at this point who was watching it and didn't know that Buffy was going to die at the end of the season, which was me. I was like, no way i can't even imagine <laughs> they're not gonna kill buffy you know um, i was shocked by the gift shocked um but if you go back and you go through the season you can see that clearly that is what they're leading up to they're
0: setting it up they are they're absolutely
1: setting, setting that up they are setting that up all right so Noel, um what are you wearing this week
0: Okay. So I'm not going to pick apart the period fashion. Okay. Except to note that the wigs are practically a character uh-huh. in this episode. And some of them are more fully realized characters than others. Yeah. We'll just leave that at that. <laughs> um, what I want to focus on for a moment is actually the vampire who gets Buffy with her own steak at the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is this very. 80s rocker wannabe with his outfit yes. and his fashion mullet. He is a his blast from the past. Mullet. it's a fashion mullet. It is.
1: It it's is. It's a like fashion. It's mullet. like White Snake was. Did did a member of White Snake uh, get vamped? Did that happen? I maybe. I I, maybe. I think maybe. I don't
0: know. Yeah. One um, of those. Uh, one of those glam rock groups. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's some good. You know, flashback hair. Mm-hmm. And the guy himself, is he isn't much of a character. He is literally unnamed vampire yes. in the credits. Mm-hmm. But he indirectly launches us into our trip down Spike's memory lane. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> well, and Spike
1: also, right, has that Billy Idol thing going on. You see it very clearly... Um, oh, God. And, yeah. But he's you know, he's and I know that later on, I think it's in season seven where somebody's like, oh, the guy looks like Billy Idol. And she's like, well, actually, Billy Idol stole his look from that. This right. matter You know, um, so we do have kind of this this, you know, 1980s rocker vibe that here we have Spike as the bleached blonde you know, close-cropped, uh, spiky hair, right? And then this guy with, like, the long black hair and, like, the, you know, puffing out.
0: He's an 80s rocker. 80s and
1: rockers, yes. It's
0: a great... Reflection, yeah. It's a great visual bit of foreshadowing that we're going to be dealing with the past right. Right. in this episode. Yeah. Um, and some serious costume swagger would be if this guy's look was a reference to... 1981 specifically? Yeah. Which would be the year Buffy was born. Aha. Uh-huh. To get the whole birth death thing in there, I don't think it is, but maybe it is. <laughs> That would be fun. That Wouldn't is that be fun. That is, actually, that is very cool. I
1: do like that. I do like that.
0: All right, so Noel, what you got for your girl power moment of the week? Oh, no, not with a girl, girl pal big. big. Okay, sorry, not sorry, Cecily turning William down. <laughs> I just love a woman who knows her worth. She's so <laughs> like... mean though. Did she have to be that mean
1: to well, him? I mean I mean, I guess vengeance maybe. Maybe. demons aren't known for their empathy, but Jesus, that <laughs> bitch was cold. I mean, it's one thing to be like, you know, I don't think so. But thank you. And I'm I'm very flattered that you would. I mean, thank you know what? Have you, but
0: OK, but have you me? tried that with a man? Have you ever tried that with a man? Thank you. But no. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't usually go over as well as hell. No, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> the answer is No. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I, mean, I think no. it's a little cold, but I also really dig it. Like when it happens, and and I love the way that we, you know, that Buffy, uh, you know, kind of pokes him in that exact spot. You're beneath me, you know. <laughs> um, I I love that in both in both instances, but at, in the same moment, I'm like, ooh. That's mean. Ouch! Like, why? Why you got to be so mean, girl? Like, all you have to do is say no. But anyway, um, all right. So, what's your favorite part? Okay,
0: I'm gonna fangirl so hard for a Please second. Please do. Yes. It's those edits in the subway. Yep. The whole. Oh God, it's so sequence. good. Sequence. Yes. There's a and there's a whole Freudian reading I could do here, and I'm not gonna do it. Except. <laughs> Fuck it, why not? Oh, I'm yeah. gonna do it. Nobody's gonna let you get away with not doing your Freudian reading.
1: Come on. No one, no
0: one wants to hear. No one wants yes, to hear they my do. Everybody wants of... to
1: hear it. Everybody wants to hear it, especially me. Go ahead.
0: So you know the visual double entendre of a train going into the tunnel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a subway car is a train forever in a tunnel. Is it not? <laughs> <laughs> are you it. saying
1: it's the endless fuck?
0: <laughs> well, what I'm saying is that they are fighting <laughs> slash dancing slash fucking on this never ending P and V metaphor that is also underground, oh aka buried in the landscape of the show, aka the show's unconscious. Uh-huh. This is why you didn't want me to go down this road. No, I love um, it. Keep going. And it's only when the lights go out that Spike gets the upper hand. Uh-huh. The thing that remains hidden is the moment when he wins. Oh. Or according to him, the moment when she loses. Right. right? And the composition and the editing support Spike's assessment. She allowed it. Mm -hmm. There is no fight, air quotes, reason Uh for them to switch places at that moment in the editing, except to mirror them. Spike is the slayer the slayer is Spike, their positions aren't that much different, mm-hmm. which is the point that he's making to Buffy, right? right? And to suggest the slip-slidiness of identity within this relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and Spike, then we have Spike describing, you know, that final gasp, that look of peace. He's describing death rather Lepitude poetically. More, right? uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but that's an orgasm. Right. Le Petit More, mm-hmm. the little death. Mm-hmm. I mean it's amazing like it's amazingly yeah. it's amazingly freudian it's amazingly it's even borderline freudian film theory mm-hmm. in other words the the text itself has an unconscious right <laughs> yeah um and we're we're seeing it through the editing um but New York spike monologuing while stealing the duster and maintaining eye contact oh with present day Buffy. Yeah. That shit feels so subversive mm-hmm. now. Like, yes. Now, mm-hmm. 20 years later, that editing on the subway car, that I don't even know. I mean, it's editing, but it's like a time it's almost a timeline Mm -hmm. shift she's seeing him in the past talking to her in the present it oh my god yeah now it's crazy (laughs) it's it's so good yeah it it is it is bananas Mm -hmm. how cool that whole sequence is and how well it still works Mm -hmm. it feels contemporary it feels subversive now right and i'm so here for it
1: Mm -hmm. oh god yeah no it's that's my favorite part (laughs) it's it's real real good um i have to like i agree like i think that is amazing um but you took it so (laughs) my favorite part because i I, I will not be without a favorite part in this episode but i actually really do love that moment when spike comes into the um into the backyard with a shotgun uh where he's just thinking about like killing her and then He sees her and he sees her pain and he just it's done like there's just this instant switch in his in his face. And then he sits down next to her and comforts her. And there's something about that moment. And it is that I don't know. I want to I think that there is a word for I think somebody coined this term, but that that. Joy of the cognitive dissonance, you know, that joy of these two things that are complete opposites and yet still exist in the same space. There is something about that um, that I just I absolutely love in that moment. And um, and honestly, like it, it builds up so much for me for the reasons why I love this relationship and why I love Spike as a character, because all of that fits so completely into this incredible like it is subterranean complexity there is so much complexity to spike um, that that makes him so interesting and i just i love that moment all right, if you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join and come find us on social media. I am at Lonnie Rich on Twitter, and Noelle is at Noelle Aloud on
0: Instagram, and the hashtag is StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers, who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our April Producers, Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Alice, Erica, Abigail, and Jonathan. And this week's special message for our power producers. All you need is one good... (laughs) day. <laughs> to find
1: out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish where I will let you know we do have a stretch goal in which I will have a Zoom meeting. I will invite a goat and up to 300 patrons can join in. So go ahead and if you have not yet pledged to uh, to support Chiprish on Patreon, now may be the time to do it because you can make that shit happen. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or order up a plate of spicy buffalo wings. If you're feeling peckish,
0: we will be back next time with Shadow, the eighth episode of Season 5. Until then, I'm the very spirit of vexation. What's another word for gleaming?